0: My name is Noelle Ananen. I'm a reporter with
1: the Falmouth Enterprise and a producer on the Upper Cape Catch. And I'm Gilda Geist, a reporter for the Falmouth Enterprise and a producer on the Upper Cape Catch. Can you tell me a little bit about your visit to the Green Center?
0: Yeah, so the Green Center is this like little house that's owned by Hilda and Earl. Hilda Maingay and Earl Barnhart. And their house is a greenhouse, green-like sustainable, and they call it the Green Center. They used to work at an ecological research center called the New Alchemy Institute. That institute doesn't exist anymore, but Hilda and Earl steward archives of the institute's research on energy, agriculture, aquaculture, housing, and more. According to their website, it's all about how to live in harmony with nature. And you can see how they've practically applied all that knowledge at the Green Center. Walking up, half the structure, sort of attached to the house itself, is a greenhouse. Solar panels cover the roof of the house, and Hilda Maingay showed me the gardens, a few acres or so of them, clustered around the chicken run and the house.
2: So these are raised beds, and then <clears throat> the pathways are full of leaves, and in a, <clears throat> in a season, it compost completely, and then we put the compost back on top of the beds. So that's leaves, and then I put one bunch of uh, urine on before I plant it, and now I'm just planting it, and then I'll, give them diluted urine
0: after that several times over the season. They grow their own food in summer and preserve what they don't eat. There are still jars of the grains, proteins, and vegetables they grew last summer lined up in their pantry. Earl Barnhart said they don't use all the electricity generated by their solar panels, so they sell the rest. Inside the greenhouse, there are rows and rows of plants clustered around their back deck, which is in the greenhouse, and three huge tubs of water, which stand up to my shoulder. For reference, I'm five foot six. Floating plants drink nutrients from the rainwater collected in the tubs. They then feed the plants to the chickens. Also living in the tank. Once over here, there
3: are little Oh, (laughs) there they are. It's floating food. They come up and grab it and go down.
0: What kind of fish are they? Uh,
3: tilapia. Tilapia. And then there's catfish. In, the
2: in
0: a lot of ways, the Green Center, or Hilda and Earl's house, it's like a living experiment.
2: So when we built our house, uh, we built it in 99, 1999. And before that, we took a couple years to design it. And we decided that we wanted not only a, an energy efficient house, but we also wanted a house that had a nutrient-recovering toilets. So we installed it well before the town was actively involved in doing a big sewer plan for long term because we just didn't want to have any of our waste to be wasted.
0: We'll talk more about what an eco-toilet is and how it plays a vital role in Hilda and Earl's sustainable house in this episode. But for now, just to oversimplify it, an eco-toilet turns what would normally go into a toilet into something useful. But first, it's important to understand why we're here. Hilda and Earl have been trying to convince people in Falmouth that sewering, this widely accepted municipal service, is actually a really bad idea. In fact, at Falmouth's town meeting on April 10th, Hilda and Earl asked voters to vote no on an article that contained part of Falmouth's sewering plans. And it worked. They presented the argument you're about to hear in this episode to town meeting, and voters stopped a plan to sewer a large, densely populated neighborhood. It's important to know that sewering is not only widely accepted, it's extremely important in developing affordable housing, which Falmouth needs. I came away from that vote wondering about Hilda and Earl. I wanted to know more about the reasoning behind an argument that had just changed a major municipal plan. So I sat down with them in the kitchen in their home, the Green Center. And as we talked, our conversation zoomed out further and further, we talked about sewers, farming, climate change, global hunger. And the solution to all of it, according to Hilda Nurl, is something everyone can do in their own house. Stay tuned. <laughs> This is The Upper Cape Catch by The Enterprise. We bring you audio stories with the latest news from Upper Cape Towns. We're kicking off a short series in which we explore one of the biggest problems facing Upper Cape Towns, a problem that maybe not a lot of people are typically thinking about unless they have to. A town's ability to develop affordable housing, care for its natural environment and waterways, and provide a basic municipal service like sewering can be a kind of delicate balancing act. But what if it didn't have to be? This is The Great Flush. And today we're asking the question, are eco toilets the future? To start answering that question, here's Earl Barnhart again.
3: 10 years ago, we became interested in wastewater on the Cape when we learned that Falmouth was gonna spend $600 million over 40 years to build sewers. And we thought that was too expensive for most people. The town doesn't have that much money. People don't have that much money. and In 40 years, the waters are all gonna be completely ruined. They can't wait that long. So sewers are slow and expensive.
0: Earl just referenced a study a consultant did for the town of Falmouth over 10 years ago. And if you're like me and you gasped when you heard that number, I just want you to picture a collective gasp from the entire town of Falmouth because according to Eric Turkington, that's basically what happened. Eric is now the chair of a water quality management committee. That committee was formed to find alternatives to that extremely expensive plan we just heard about. But the alternatives the town tried and why they didn't really work is a story for another day. Meanwhile, Erlen Hilda started making their own plan.
3: So we began to look into other ways of uh, dealing with nutrients that were going into the ground through the sewers. And we studied eco toilets and we discovered there are many different kinds of uh, toilets, options for people that can uh, recover the nutrients, keep them out of the water, Uh, use them as fertilizer for food production, and environmentally uh, and uh, economically, they are much better solutions than conventional sewers.
0: If you didn't know this, human urine has nitrogen and phosphorus in it, which are nutrients that help plants grow. So what does an eco-toilet do?
3: So there's a Swedish urine-diverting toilet on the top and waterless, Mm -hmm. and then there's a composting bin in the in the basement underneath, so that the urine goes out the uh, urine diversion front Mm -hmm. and it goes to storage and gets used for agriculture and the solid material goes down and gets composted in these bins and they get switched out when they get full and an empty one put in its place.
0: Basically, in the front of the toilet you have a urine diverting system and in the back a composting toilet. A fan pulls air down and takes that air out a pipe leading outside, which eliminates any odors. Solid waste goes into a garbage can tucked away in the basement. The can is about the same size as a bin you roll up to your curb for weekly trash pickups. Earl said when the bin gets just over half full, they mix some water into the bins to start the composting process. Then the bin is stored for two years. And at the end of the two years, they now have a bin full of fertilizer for their garden. If the town implemented a municipal eco-toilet system, Earl said it would run just like garbage and recycling pickups. A contractor would come to your house, replace a full container with an empty one, and take it elsewhere to turn it into compost. But the urine diversion part of the toilet is useful right away. Hilda uses that container to fertilize their garden. Okay, so why is an eco-toilet better than a sewer? Hilda said the cost for two eco-toilets per household is $40 a year, and that's only for electricity for the fan. Nothing else breaks, it never floods, and it doesn't really matter how many people are using it.
3: The way I define an eco-toilet is a toilet that either uses less water than a normal toilet, or uses no water, or that recovers the nutrients for recycling uh, instead of wasting them.
2: Yeah, I call them right now, not eco anymore, I call them nutrient-recovering toilets. And it could be just urine, it could be urine and faeces, it could be them separately being treated, it could be them treated completely together. And there's all different kinds. So instead of wasting it all in the groundwater, which then eventually ends up in our ponds, lakes and estuaries, we like to keep it away from there. We cover them and reuse it.
0: Why do we want to keep the nutrients out of the fresh water?
2: That's not where they belong.
3: Uh, Well.
0: (laughs) That's a really good summary, but it's a bit more complicated than that.
3: The nutrients from the food that people eat all go through the person and ends up either in a septic tank or in the sewer. And the nutrients in the septic tank and the sewer are in water. And then the water eventually gets into the groundwater on the Cape, gets into freshwater ponds, gets into the estuaries and eventually the ocean. And it pollutes every one of those water bodies. Um, continuously.
0: It's important to note here that the town does have a wastewater treatment facility which cleans wastewater. One of the priorities of the wastewater facility is to filter out nitrogen. That process is complicated but all we need to know for today is treated water eventually makes its way back into Falmouth's waterways and environment.
2: Yeah the nutrients come from the food we eat. Mm -hmm. So in nature everything gets recycled. We are the only animals that don't recycle. All the waste of an animal ends up close to where the animal lives and then the food grows right there. So either they eat another animal that eats the plants that grow or they eat the plants themselves. So all the nutrients are recycled and kept out of the water in the top layer of the soil continuously. So with humans, we grow our food somewhere in Chile or California, wherever, and we never bring those same nutrients that grow our food back to the where it belongs. In the old ways, old times, all through history, people would hold on to their nutrients because it's the only way you can grow food.
0: Their argument is basically okay, sewers take human waste to waterways, but if human waste belonged in waterways, humans would never have evolved to live on land. Waste that fish excrete remains in the water, and the nutrients from their waste fertilize the food they eat. So when too many nutrients from human waste end up in the water, it throws off the ecosystem.
2: And now we waste it all because we can make nitrogen fertilizer with uh, gas, with um, natural gas. And we mine phosphorus um, in few places in the world. Uh, the United States has some, not enough. Uh, Morocco has most. We have to import it from China, from Russia, from Morocco. And... That is unsustainable because phosphorus is a mineral and once you have mined everything you can get that's it and then we cannot grow food anymore so people are not aware that we're running out of phosphorus and in the meantime the phosphorus that we eat we excrete and then we put it in water and then we pollute the water and it goes away where we can't get a hold of it anymore
3: and and eventually it all goes to the ocean So all of the food, all the nutrients, and all the food virtually in the entire world ends up in the ocean. And it's causing very big dead zones in the ocean because it's unnaturally large amounts of nutrients uh, in the water.
0: Those dead zones Earl was talking about are harmful algae blooms. Not all algae growth is harmful, but too much nitrogen in the ocean causes huge harmful algae blooms the blooms become so large they choke out all other life in the area, and some of these blooms can span miles, leaving a lot of destruction behind. Phosphorus can cause these same harmful blooms in freshwater ponds. Hilda and Earl think that instead of sewering, people in Falmouth should use eco-toilets, or urine diversion methods. These methods keep all nutrients at the heart of those negative environmental impacts from getting into the water at all. Once phosphorus and nitrogen are in the water, there's no way to get them back out, So urine diversion keeps those nutrients on land, where they can be used as fertilizer for food. Hilda and Earl said they have tried to advocate their way of thinking with the town for 13 years, but they haven't really made any progress. The conventional solution, Earl said, is sewering.
3: Town officials automatically go that direction because they've always done it in the past. And it's considered civilization marching onward to make sewers for your town and you're backwards if you don't have them. So it's a social, political thing that's just a habit, a tradition.
0: Earl and Hilda have a design they patented for a urine-diverting, nutrient-recovering, waterless urinal. Hilda said that their design would negate the need for a sewer.
2: If we just did the male urine, we would never need an outflow pipe. we would never need another sewer.
0: The urinal doesn't take up any space. It's built into the wall, and it looks roughly like a 10 inch by 10 inch square on the wall, push it and it opens. They think if people had these in their houses that would make a big difference for Falmouth's waterways. And it's cheap. Hilda and Earl are currently applying for the funding they would need just to kickstart the project. And the whole idea behind designing and marketing the urinal is to make urine diversion affordable and accessible for the average person.
3: We want to do it at, at cost. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, you um, want- Give them a the
0: urine diverted from waterways could be sent to farmers who need the nutrients contained in urine for farming.
3: It turns out that most of the nutrients from people's wastes are in the urine, and it turns out that it's much easier to separate that in urine-diverting toilets, make it safe to use as fertilizer. Uh, it's the quickest way, and the easiest way, and the cheapest way to recover and recycle Monster. nutrients. Um, the other thing on a global level is all of the climate change activity and uh, information and publicity, has. they, they focus on energy uh, entirely. They talk about solar panels, they talk about electric cars, they talk about fossil fuels. It's, a, it's an energy-biased uh, uh, discussion of the future, but no one And those levels in the U.N. and in the climate uh, conferences talks about recycling nutrient wastes from people back to food. It never comes up, but it's probably more important and more critical than energy.
0: The Guardian reported in March this year that scientists are seeing an impending fertilizer and food shortage as the world's deposits of phosphorus are being used up. Countries like the U.S. and Great Britain already rely on phosphorus imports, according to the article. Hilda basically argued, if people think prices of food are high now, just wait until phosphorus really starts to run out. They hope to see phosphorus recovered from urine on a much bigger scale than just what they do at the Green Center. If urine diversion is widely accepted, they think the world could see big cuts in pollution caused by mining phosphorus and a food crisis avoided altogether.
2: And that's why we have all this pollution everywhere and degrading soils. And places in most of the world now can't afford to buy fertilizers because it's all fossil fuel based. And the fossil fuels are going up, transport is going up, mining the phosphorus is going up. So we get more and more hungry, hunger, and that gets civil unrest. And now you see all these people moving between drought, floods and hunger because they can't grow all the food that they used to because of all these things combined, you get these civil unrests and populations moving. So that's, and then as soon as you get that, of course, you get dictatorship and people trying to hold on to the few resources they have. Sounds very apocalyptic almost. It is. It is totally. I mean, the nutrients, they have known this for a while, but they're keeping it really quiet politically because the phosphorus is the scariest thing and we have We don't know exactly, but like maybe 20 years of good minable phosphorus in this country. And we are already importing from Morocco. China, of course, has closed its borders because they have to hold on to it. Um, Russia, with the war, we will not accept it anymore, but we got all the cheap stuff from them before. So over the whole world, since Russia is closed up and Ukraine is closed up where they had all this cheap... fertilizer. So they now starting to realize that urine might be the solution. Uh, And it's slowly, slowly happening in those countries. Um, Too slow, but it's happening. The whole urine diversion in the whole world is picking up really rapidly right now as the way to solve our problems.
0: Hilda and Earl have made it their business to remind their community about this growing problem. And it sounds like a no-brainer. Their proposed alternative is cheap and relatively quick to manufacture. Meanwhile, it takes a long time to fund, permit, engineer, and build a sewer. Think big bureaucratic mess. But for some reason, despite Hilda and Earl's efforts to catch the ear of the local government, town officials tend to think that people wouldn't really want an eco-toilet or use a waterless urinal. The next clip you're about to hear is a Water Quality Management Committee meeting in which Hilda pitched their urine-diverting waterless urinal. The committee was discussing the challenge of how to handle the wastewater impacts of a very large, affordable housing development. Hilda suggested they implement waterless urinals. These are the ones that Hilda and Earl said would negate the need for sewers at all if they're widely implemented. The ones they designed and basically want to give away. can
3: would be a good data point on public acceptance. Yeah, it would. It'd be a great experiment. I mean, it's just you can argue, argue that it would actually save we'll them back. lots of money because they wouldn't have to build the female one. <laughs> <machine>. actually <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> okay, on on Really? It. It. Yeah.
2: Every single man here has used a journal. There's nothing to adapt to.
3: <laughs> Am I correct? Yeah, you're uh, correct. Okay, we're, so it, we, we had a whole meeting on, on this. And uh, had I don't understand this, why this is a laughing it's matter. Not the, it's not the current it's a agenda very serious item.
2: solution.
3: Okay, thank you. We, we get that. And, and we actually agree with a lot of what you say, but it's <coughs> not the agenda item we're dealing with right now. Well,
2: we are we trying to get nitrogen out of this
1: river. Yes. I think Steve probably just went to go use one. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Just a guess. Just a guess. <laughs> okay, <the>
0: next <laughs> This is Falmouth
1: Enterprise wastewater and environment reporter Gilda Geist again. And it's true. It wasn't the agenda item they were dealing with at that time. However, Hilda had tried to speak about waterless urinals or fleshless urinals in other parts of the meeting and was shut down for kind of the same reason. And her point is like, they're all connected. We're talking about nitrogen mitigation. You know, this is part of nitrogen mitigation, or it can be. When town
0: meeting members didn't approve the town's sewering plan, when they more or less took Hilda and Earl's side, Gilda
1: said it made a statement. They didn't feel like the town was fully assessing all of its nitrogen mitigation options, and we kind of start to see that in how the committee responds to Hilda trying to talk about flushless urinals and other sort of eco-toilet technology you know, Eric Turkington is constantly saying, we've done an eco-toilet pilot, it didn't work, people weren't interested. That's true. That was 10 years ago.
0: Technology has come further since then. Eco toilets are much nicer than they were. Now they're odorless, more efficient, and they don't take up as much space.
1: There was a woman in the audience who literally said, when Hilda first came around trying to get us to try these, I didn't want to do it because I was Uh, a working mom. I was really busy and it just seemed like too much. And also it seemed like we kind of had time to figure out how to mitigate, you know, nitrogen pollution here in Falmouth. Now I don't feel like there's time anymore. And now I feel ready to do it.
0: This has been the first episode of a short series on the problems surrounding municipal wastewater. In our next episode we'll explore local wastewater plans and how they came to be after all you can't have affordable housing without a wastewater management plan and everyone knows we're in a housing crisis but towns have to move carefully because of the larger global issues at stake so how do they come up with a plan and what does it look like we'll address these questions and more in our series the great flush i want to thank hilda mingay and earl barnhart for their help on this episode. And special thanks to producer and Falmouth Enterprise reporter Gilda Geist for her help and reporting that contributed to this episode. The Upper Cape Catch comes out every Friday, just like our newspaper. Check us out online, on our social media, or on our website at capenews.net. We also have an app that is free to download on the App Store and Google Play. As always, thank you for listening.